0: I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: Time being as it is, let me just turn this over and show these. I'm, sure, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Show these as they are. As a matter of fact, they are in a haphazard order. May we turn this to the camera, please, to save time? Jonathan, we'll read off the cards. It is a queen of hearts. Six of diamonds. Six of diamonds, yes. ten of spades, and a two of clubs. Queen of hearts, six diamonds, ten spades, you and six want me to of clubs.
2: Young. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Two of clubs. Two of clubs. Six of diamonds. Six
1: of diamonds. Queen of hearts. That's the last would be And the ten, ten of spades. spades it is. <clears>
2: uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. um, Amazing.
1: Someday, John, I will be more amazed, even more amazed than how the time flies on. Thank you.
2: That was very interesting, both of those experiments. We'll take a break.
0: Taken from one of his 60-plus appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, that is the voice of my guest today on the program, the Amazing Kreskin. Let me tell you a little bit about the Amazing Kreskin. Kreskin was born as George Joseph Kresge in Montclair, New Jersey, in 1935. That was the same year Babe Ruth played his final baseball game, Monopoly the board game hit shelves, and Congress accepted FDR's New Deal. Quite an amazing year, which seems, you know, kind of appropriate, since Kresge was soon to have the name Amazing supersede his own birth name. And that new name was how he would be known for, well... Pretty much the rest of his life. But, as we all know, before one becomes amazing, they have to get through the awkward years of youth. And that's exactly what the pre-amazing Kresge did. Inspired by the comic book exploits of Lee Fox crime-fighting superhero Mandrake the Magician, the young Kresge was utterly transfixed by the idea that one could upend evil with quick-draw hypnotism. Now, in the comic book, Mandrake was a stage magician by trade, but off the clock, he battled gangsters, mad scientists, and dark forces from other dimensions by simply using hypnotism. Well, that's not entirely accurate. He could also turn himself invisible, shapeshift, teleport, and levitate, but hypnotism was the lowest-hanging fruit in that cocktail, and at the tender age of five, Kresge was hooked on the concept. And it was a concept that he would literally never let go. By 14, he was doing two-hour magic and mentalism shows, and by age 16, Kreskin, who was now known as the Great Kreskin, was named by the New York Times as America's youngest hypnotist. So, what does America's youngest hypnotist do next? Take over the world? Catapult to fame? Make millions of dollars? No, no, none of that at least not yet, before Fame and Riches, America's youngest hypnotist, first had to go to college. Not straying too far from home, Kreskin went to Seton Hall in New Jersey, and he got his bachelor's in psychology and religious studies. And along the way, he dazzled his professors with his aptitude for hypnosis and mentalism. In fact, so dazzled was one of those professors he let Kreskin teach the class, saying, you know more about hypnosis and ESP than I do. I'll be outside smoking and texting my girlfriend. But apt as Kreskin was at the mental arts, he wasn't great at getting to class. But a bong in video games were not to blame. It took Kreskin eight years to finish college because he was skipping classes to perform in clubs, the act he'd been perfecting since grade school. Now, one of the benefits of going to college close to where you grew up and staying there for eight years is that you build up a strong regional following. On the club circuit, Kreskin crushed it, and in the process, he became something of a hometown celebrity. By the time he graduated, two interesting offers came his way. One was from the mafia, and the other was from Steve Allen. He went with the Steve Allen option, wise choice. Although Kreskin tripped and fell during his debut on The Steve Allen Show, he was a hit. And that appearance was the first of what would be hundreds of appearances for Kreskin on television. Now, before I give you some of Kreskin's career highlights, let me say this. The list I'm about to give you is so endless, if Kreskin had a LinkedIn profile, they'd kick him off because they'd think he was making it up. Okay, here we go. And keep in mind, by the way, this is a partial list. Kreskin has over 500 television appearances, including The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Letterman, The Mike Douglas Show, Merv Griffin, Larry King Live, and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, where he became the first guest to ever appear three times. He had his own show in the 70s called The Amazing World of Kreskin. He was awarded an honorary doctorate of letters from Seton Hall. He has the largest library of parapsychology books on the planet. He's also written eight books of his own. He played piano at Carnegie Hall. He teaches classes for law enforcement groups. And in 1967, he had a Milton Bradley board game named after him. It was called Kreskin's ESP. And the guy on the cover looked just like Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. And the front of the box teased, will the mystery pendulum answer your questions about love, career, finance, travel, it was for ages 8 and up. And let me just say this. Whoever made it knew nothing about ESP. Because if they did, they would have known there is no 8-year-old on the planet who is going to be like, hey, let's play Kreskin's ESP and see what's up with my 401k. And speaking of retirement plans, at age 83, Kreskin doesn't have one. He still plays 300 gigs a year. And he has no plan to slow down. In an age where a six-foot-five 250-pound, 24-year-old pitcher is only allowed to throw 100 pitches per game before getting five days rest, Kreskin, well, not only does Kreskin never rest, he never slows down. And why should he? It's been an incredibly winning career, but sometimes it would get a little weird. For example, in 2002, Kreskin predicted there would be a mass UFO sighting over Las Vegas on June 6th. That never happened. Thousands of people were disappointed because Kreskin had seemed so certain they were sure it was going to happen. Later on, in an interview, Kreskin said the stunt proved the power of suggestion in a post 911 world. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that proves every artist has to make their own version of metal machine music. Totally forgivable. Now keep in mind, the amazing Kreskin is not a magician. He's also not a clairvoyant. A hypnotist, a medium, an occultist, or a psychic who's equipped with powers of telepathy, precognition, or mind control. Kreskin is a mentalist, and a mentalist is someone who can make you think they can do all the things I just told you he can't. However, mentalism is indeed a gift. It's a gift for being able to toy with perception, misdirect attention, and suggest the impossible all for one purpose. To invoke belief. So when a mentalist is done with you, you'll swear they were otherworldly, even though they keep telling you over and over again that they're not. In other words, they're not Jedis, but you're sure that when you were talking to them, they were holding a lightsaber. Now, how good is Kreskin? Well, he's one of the best. And in the first 20 seconds of this interview, he gets me by using the very simple Jedi mind trick of flattery. And I totally fell for it. It happens at the beginning of the interview, and I'll let you hear it for yourself. But for about a minute or so, I was like, Wow, it sounds like Kreskin totally wants to hang out with me. He must have heard some really nice things. I wonder who told him such cool stuff about me. And then I realized how stupid that was. No one told him anything. He completely played me. But I came to and conducted the interview. Oh, and one more thing. About ten minutes into the interview... Kreskin's voice starts to echo. I don't know why. Mine doesn't, but his does. And it's so weird. It's almost like he was like, oh, this interview is going so well from this hotel room that I'm in. Why don't I try it from the ether? And he just takes on this weird Vincent Price echo that just never stops. But this is what happens when you interview a mentalist. Okay? All right. Uh, Enjoy it. This is me and Kreskin having a chat. By Skype from San Francisco to the cosmos. Enjoy this conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: Well, good news, very positive news. I'm sober. Not that I drink. I just start rumors. Don't pay. Don't pay much attention. That's all right.
0: <laughs> I think if you're sober midday, it's a good. It's a good <laughs> sign.
1: Where are you? What's what city are you in? Am i telling you right now.
0: I am uh, in San Francisco.
1: Good, good, good. And when I'm out there sometime, we'll have to get together. You know.
0: I would love that. I would love that. Uh, that would be fantastic. How How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Now tell me, when we're on, are we going live or taping or what?
0: Yeah, we're going to tape it, if that's okay with you.
1: Well, Alex, uh, we better, you better not erase this, folks. I want you all to know that uh, if I meet with him in San Francisco, I'm on the air with him in person, I dare not read his thoughts on the air. I'm only joking, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I fear,
0: I fear my, my inner thoughts might be boring.
1: Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, we, in this day and age, and uh, – it's a philosophy that I keep espousing and so many people in the industry especially comedians will agree if we can't laugh at ourselves in this day and age we're in damn trouble
0: we are it's a it's a it's a very peculiar and alarming time
1: I think what what makes it so much so is that uh, you know you go back to and I, I happen to be around along that time uh, uh, as a little kid during the uh, second World War uh, but I uh, uh, I can remember Bob Hope kidding everybody from the president to what have you, and and uh, Jack Benny was in a canoe. They're getting me a copy of the movie piece of it, a black and white movie, but he was in a, in a canoe, and at the other end of the canoe on this lake, wherever it was taking place, he was kind of mocking this disheveled-looking character. and It turns out it was Adolf Hitler. I'm not sure in this day and age where we wouldn't have a mound of people criticizing for for satirizing somebody. And that, that, that's part of the humor of surviving in the culture, you know?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that because I know that, you know, from Chaplin to the example that you just gave, uh, even to Mel Brooks, you know, making fun of Hitler was a great way to quote Joan Rivers to sort of shrink the dragon, the, the terror, right? Um,
1: and, and, and it was done. It's been done with uh, villains all through history because it's one of uh, humor is one of our great war tools it's a it's a it's a great tool. It's a therapeutic tool. It's a tool and part of everyday life. But even in the greatest of stresses, I mean, look at how many uh, thousands of shows that Bob Hope did uh, for servicemen, and, and they revered him for doing such. So God forbid if we're going to resent people kidding ourselves, then we better we better reflect on, on on how we intend to continue with life. Because I'm not sure now. Don't misunderstand me. I don't expect. Uh, during the funeral for people to glance, at, oh my God, Kreskin has a smile on his face. That might be under, <laughs> misunderstood, Alex. Who knows?
0: Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah. was, well, you know, the thing that I was thinking about is that you know, at, when Hitler was gone, it seemed safe to make fun of them. But during the time period, you know, like it seemed like a really dangerous thing to do. Because, and, and I think about Trump, like right now, I don't think it's funny. Uh, to make fun of Trump right now because I feel it dismisses what he's yeah. actually doing, which is which is terrifying. Um, even yeah. though I, I believe in the power of comedy over everything else. I'm I you know I'm Jewish. I come from a long line of uh a, you know make Jew- fun of stuff to make it easier. You
1: know look at, look at how the Jewish culture uh, when you think of the some of the great comedians of the Second World War, Jewish comedians like Jack Benny and Milton Berle, and they were very, very they were very much an important tool no i I agree it's 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 one thing to be able to look at things with humor, but not necessarily scathing humor because some of that has such vitriol behind it that it it leaves a bad aftertaste. There's got i I, I hope comedians uh, understand it. by the way, I respect uh, Jerry Seinfeld for his decision. I don't know if you know about it, but he made a decision about a year ago. They tell me now. That there are, well, last I heard, which was a few weeks ago, there are now eight of the comedians who have expressed the same thing. Jerry Seinfeld, a very, very fine performer and a very funny guy, has made it public that he's not going to be doing university appearances anymore. And that's a sad thing to hear because young people have been tremendous fans and so forth. But he doesn't feel comfortable to perform in a university, which is now becoming common, where the content what a comedian jokes about has to be censored and edited. Believe me, that didn't take place in the second world war. And I, my degrees in psychology from, from a university scene hall. And we're, you're, you're supposed to be able to share even unpopular views. That's a sad commentary on things today from Seinfeld.
0: No, I, I happen to be a university professor. So, and I, I totally understand uh, what's happened in terms uh, in terms of why why he's made that decision and what's going on with the sensitivity of those crowds. Um I also wonder though if it's a lack of sophistication. I mean I feel like college students of nineteen, you know, fifty eight were a little more plugged in than than students of two thousand eighteen. I hate to say that.
1: Uh, Alex, by the way, Alison, I mean I haven't mean it sincerely, uh, I'd like to interview you sometime. Can I ask you what area of of, of, of education that you, 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 teach in the school. Of course. Which, yeah. I'm an, I'm an English professor. Oh my God. I loved English. Oh, oh good. Not that I spoke English that well, but, but, uh, <laughs> I, had, I, I, I was very, I had a close bond with my English teachers and I was just talking about it to my road manager. Uh, uh, but it's, it's in here in New Jersey, uh, a lot, li- my library, by the way, which I added, uh, a branch too now numbers eight thousand books, wow. and I, I'm a passionate reader because uh, uh, the, li- the the library I used to I would go to after school because I just lived in a three room apartment my brother and my parents and myself. Uh, the library was only one block away, so I would I'd love to go out and play, but I always went to the library for a couple of hours each day, and by the time I was in seventh grade. I had read every single solitary book in the children's library. I don't know how many thousand it was, but the, the, the words gotten around from library to library all through the decades. But I just have a passion for reading and the English language is a, is a special study. I, I, I you're an interesting person. I got, now I have to meet him in spite of my tempting to read his thoughts, folks. I do still have to meet him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you'll, you know, you'll read my thoughts and you'll go, wow, he sounded so much smarter.
1: No, 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 no. But uh, but no. You you know you, you said something very very interesting, and it's it's it really reflects part of my work. Although I don't want to forget the, the story that's broken the past uh, a few hours about uh, uh, you know a certain based on an a, a movie uh, that took place years ago. But that's an, that's we'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Uh, I uh, I think what's happened, and I've talked to many many teachers who quietly agree with me that something's happened in our attention span. Not that we can't look at something and see something and what have you, but our, our lifestyle is such that many people are thinking in terms of short answers to everything. So you have a cell phone in front of you, and you get a quick answer, and then you go on to something else. And and really, there is something to be said. I'm, I'm sure you understand what I mean. That not I'm not saying we should... Uh, we should do everything by reading a uh, print and what have you. But there's something about hearing something, seeing something, reading something, and then sometimes setting back and reflecting upon what took place. That's hard to do if you're out with a person you're in love with or a person you you're, you're, you you have a good friendship with or a person you just like the company with, and you're conversing but at the same time you have your cell phone on. It's so muddled things that we're re- reaching a point and as so, so, sociologists are telling me this over and over again, our attention span is diminishing in the United States today.
0: I mean, I've seen it. I, I see it in real time. Um, I started teaching in, in 1997. It's been over 20 years, and I can I can tell that the attention span has diminished. There there there's no doubt about that.
1: And it, it's, it's a shame because we're losing something. But uh, and I've been asked to speak about this, and, and aside from my, my, I've done over a thousand university shows in this country in Canada. My my two and a half hour program has been important to me. By the way, the airline industry announced uh, two two and a half years ago. I've now flown in my career so far a little over three and a half million miles. Three and a half million. <laughs> so uh, so I don't. I don't. I don't go. I don't look forward to going on vacation on a plane. I'd rather go on a rowboat or a canoe, long as there's no holes drilled in it and what have you. But uh, at the same time, we 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 have we we're, we're losing something that's part of a almost that was so much intrinsic to our culture. And you can quote me as saying this, because in the past uh, few uh, few days, uh, certain people interviewed me say, well, "I'm going to use that that caption because." Uh, older people can think about it one thing that's disappeared in our culture today alex is the sunday dinner now folks listening in you young people you have to ask your grandparents about it but there was a time not a hundred years ago there was a time 30 40 50 60 70 80 so forth years ago when people gathered together uh, the children the the the, the, the uh, grandparents, so grandparents at grandma's house and maybe like ourselves, after church, it was about a t- a 12, 14, 18 of us on a Friday, if it was a, a Jewish group, what have you, but they gathered together and just reflected and ate together and just communicated. Not, it didn't have to be anything serious, it was a communication. Even Winston Churchill in the darkest days, when and he knew, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew, but, but for reasons I, I'm not gonna go into detail now, but uh, Adolf Hitler, was deceived into not realizing they knew that the nazis could walk into germany walk into england walk in england off the boats on the shores and take over the entire country if it weren't for a skillful technique and deception they would have done it because there are pathways from texas uh, from mexico into texas that were plowed out by the Nazi people before World War II in planning to take over this country. Well, we 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 don't seem to be sitting and communicating as we once did, where people could sit and sure they argued about uh, uh, an election or something. But when the argument was all over, they were kidding and, and joking or sitting at, by the piano or listening to a, the shadow on the radio, or what have you. It it seems now that it's taken instantaneously with umbrage, and there because the depth of reflection that people have a right to believe, think and reflect on something. And that, can you imagine by the way, Alex, if everybody thought the way I do or the way you do, or one other professor or an entire university or an entire complex, that would not be a very interesting lifestyle, would it?
0: Not at all. I mean, and, and I, but I wonder if the root of that is people are so afraid to think critically and so it's it's so much easier to to turn your brain off. Uh, like I just saw this morning that they they blocked the subpoenaing of the translator in in the uh, in the Trump meeting with Putin. And I thought the only motivation. I mean, there's always an insidious element yeah. to that. But I also wonder if because it's so much easier to block it than to have to confront what they would actually find.
1: Uh, uh, that's that's a very – yes, and I agree with you. It's, it's, easier, it's easier to block something, to confront it, analyze it, talk it out, and what have you, and to listen to it and just reflect upon it because, I mean, bear in mind uh, we can't change – the rest of the world, we cannot walk into a country and say, well, well, we, we've got atomic energy and everything else, you're going to become Democrats, or you're going to become a, uh, a, uh, a party like the uh, one United States or what have you, because remember this, and I, I can't believe how people coming out of universities have never even heard this. Remember this, that uh, when uh, when the Second World War took place, before World War II and the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, the great fear was the Nazis, uh, as I mentioned earlier, because by the way, there were thousands of Nazis that, 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 that met at large uh, stadiums in, in New York because it was that large an organization and what have you. But there was fear that such would be taken over. And yet, with incredible wisdom, one of the most brilliant men I've ever read in my life, and I've read about 3,000 of his writings, and of course knew about him, the Second World War, and that was Winston Churchill. He quietly knew that, uh, that uh, England could be taken over, but he bonded, and thank God it worked with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the two of them fought what was initially, was initially going to be Adolf Hitler. The other factor is that uh, uh, Churchill was wise enough to realize, and he said it publicly, in order to fight Nazism, I'll make a pact with the devil and he made a pact with Joseph Stalin and that helped destroy the Nazi party. So our worlds don't run as clear and sophisticated and directly according to the rules as, as we may think today.
0: But people are so, and I agree with you and people are so comfortable just saying, I am this kind of person. I'm going to check these four boxes and then turn my brain off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we know you know when we get lazy. One of the one of the uh, and I've been quoted on this by by professors at university because I sometimes mention this in my performances. If we get the easiest way to handle something and stay lazy, is just give it a title, just give it a name, and you walk on from there rather than explaining what the hell that name means because it can mean different things to different people. But you you said it all. just to label something is often an excuse. And and by the way, and I say this to businessmen, if people coming to work for you for a job or what have you are going to simply label something without explaining it, then they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And by the way, my degree is in psychology, and I don't brag about it because I've never met more whacked out people in my life than psychiatrists. (laughs) It's so true. Close, yeah, I have a couple of close friends with our psychiatrists. They agree with me. There's a high mental illness, but at the same time, it's part of my life. And uh, and it was exciting when I was in when I was going to Seaton Hall my first year. Uh, Professor Frank Murphy. I was already performing because I've been performing since I was in my teens. He had me teach. A few weeks of, of uh, general psychology, he says, "Question with what you do on the stage, you've had more experience than I have in that way, but the, the important thing to realize is that in spite of those three weeks that I spent with the students, they were able to leave class fairly stable, and they were able to think fairly clearly, in spite of me.
0: Is <laughs> quite a few. There, you know, there are moments where I'm teaching where I think to myself, "Man, I am killing. I've got this crowd, right? Where I'm, <laughs> I'm in the classroom. and I think there's literally nothing I can do that's wrong. Uh, where there there are other days where I think there's nothing I can do that's right, and I don't know. And sometimes I'll teach the same class. You know, I, if I have two sections of a class, the eight o'clock class I kill, the nine thirty yep, yep. class I bomb, and I've done the same things. So I I, I always wonder, and I know. Comics have that same issue. Oh yeah, uh, okay. you know,
1: set to oh, set. Oh, sure, comics often rate when they rate their audiences. They don't, and and some of them will talk that way because I've gotten to know uh, uh, comics through the years and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hosts of television shows from you know Carson on to Fallon and and people through the years. Uh, but uh, at the same time, what they're really they're really not doing. They're not reading the audience. The truth of the matter is, and, not, and we and we understand it, the rating, why did I get this kind of response so that the audience is dead? Meaning that it's not necessarily them, what did I do? And that that's, excuse me, that's not always an easy thing to answer. It really isn't because it could be a, a way one glances, the way one uh, uh, gestures during a, a certain phrase and what have you, but at the same time, in the long run, you you're, you end up the winner. I'm, I'm sure you do, and, and and I gotta tell you this, I. I tell your listeners this I give you my word I've heard nothing malicious said about Alex since I've started to talk to him, about him <laughs> yeah.
0: in all the time we yeah in all the time you and I have known each other no one has said one negative thing about me
1: <laughs> I uh, I uh, uh, you know traveling the world one of the advantages I have and uh, and that is that uh, the equipment for my programme is not uh, uh, a piano, although I do play the piano in many of my performances, I, I prepare with the new London Philharmonic and Carnegie Hall and what have you, but that's not my main my source of entertainment. But uh, it, it's not a, a, a scene on the stage, it's not what have you. The equipment from my program are my audiences, because whether it's an audience at a private party, or the Minnesota State Fair was 10,000, the Oregon State Fair was 30,000. Uh, or it's a theater Carnegie Hall with 3,004 balconies. I'm tuning in on how people think and working with their thinking. And that that gives me a tremendous advantage, which is the one re- – the truth of the matter is, and I only admitted this uh, some months ago, I've predicted the last uh, uh, four presidential elections. I've never announced it ahead of time because, as I warn people in show business, you start doing that, you're going to antagonize – some of your audience, if not half of them and that you're not, that's not what you're there to do. And I, I, I don't want, so I don't, because they'll say, well, I predicted so-and-so would win. Obviously I'm supporting that person. And that's not the reason I made the prediction. The reason I did is when election time comes two, three years before and so forth, I'll sometime my audience say, Hey, you know, uh, I bet you already have in mind who you're going to vote for, but don't tell me that's all I need. That's all I need is those 30 seconds. And by the end of the program, I got an idea of how most of them will vote. Not all of them, most of them. So, uh, so it's 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 my my work is interesting because I'm using my audience. They're they they're the equipment to my program. God forbid I have to read the thoughts of professors. Oh no, I'm, I would. That's, <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: What do you think it is that? What is it about people's fidelity to the past? Um, you know this idea: Are people too sentimental? Are people too um, they, they sort of cling to uh, old tropes and old habits, and there's an unwillingness to change because maybe the past was a comfortable place. I don't know. Um, but wh- why do you think people are so rooted to the past and their in their history?
1: I think I think for the average person, and I can think of myself and so forth. Although. Because I'm performing for different, different audiences all the time, I constantly am adapting, and constantly I consider uh, my work a challenge. I mean, uh, 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 but at the same time, I think generally people feel comfortable in what they're familiar with, and they become used to handling and accepting as their challenges. Because you know, everyone has challenges in their life. I don't care what they do whether they're selling ice cream cones at a state fair, whether they're they're digging uh, uh, in a a garden, whether they're doing lawns, or whether they're uh, working with a a computer, what have you. There's always challenges. And we learn, I've said this many times to to young people, because I have actually heard places, including a couple of schools, a couple, I don't want to talk about it, but where you're not allowed to play a game, where there's there's a loser in the game. So there are a number of schools now here in New Jersey uh, and in New York. In fact, a gentleman I knew who was one of the pioneers and built one of the most powerful uh, uh, news networks in history took his son out of this school because they, they didn't you, – you couldn't do anything. You couldn't play any game where you lose the baseball game. You lose the golf thing. you do Everybody's a winner. They all have to get awards. Well, that's not the real facts of life. I, as a kid, used to play goldfish, and 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 more with playing cards and some of us lost and the other thing the other message I have is We learn far more from failures than we do successes.
0: That's right. That's right. And so you have to fail to To learn it's a learning moment.
1: I, I do seminars for, for businessmen and, uh, and Businessmen and women and uh, I uh, I often say I I would have a rule now, I, I don't have a, a large staff because a road manager, a manager, and a number of people who work in, in the communication areas that are in contact, but my, my team is only a, a maybe about seven or eight people. But if I were hiring someone, you show me someone. Who has had in the past, and I, 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 God forbid that they were t- terrible situations, but had 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 disastrous situations or did, had great difficulties, and somehow has adjusted, has moved on. I would be more tempted to hire them. First of all, they'd be at the top of my list, and I mean that, Alex.
0: Well, it's interesting because I know uh, the the past is an interesting place. My my father is eighty three, and we were we were watching television. He said, "Oh, you know what's happening right now is like McCarthyism," and and I thought that's a really important right. right? I mean, and that's a really important thing to mention because we we seem to have learned nothing, and we know how that turned out. But then, so that's an important part of the past to be thinking about. But then there's other things where we tend to freeze ourselves.
1: Yeah, um, you're, right. you're right. Right, and, and we're we're stuck in that area, right? You're absolutely we're stuck. But you know, I gotta, I gotta. And I tell your, your, tell your dad, I send my best thoughts because I am 83 years old and uh, have a schedule that's off the wall because I did announce my retirement. And I mean, and I hope people aren't upset about it, but I announced it three or four months ago. I'm going to retire 10 days after I pass away. <laughs> Because I, I just I, I just happen to be a, have a passion uh, for my my work, and you said that your dad mentioned the period of McCarthyism, and this is where we don't want to live in the past, but we can learn from the past. And I was on a a radio uh, not a radio a news broadcast today where they said, "Would you ex we never understood this about McCarthy, and now it." today maybe it's a warning that could take greater meaning uh, you uh, were not around I guess during the period of Senator McCarthy were you Alex uh, oh, I was or, born
0: in 70 so no I just missed it
1: but during the during the after the Second World War we had a period of a uh, of, uh, of, 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 of fear of uh, atomic attack and so forth and uh, and, there, and there was, it was a serious fear as I said there were there, uh, there, there were legions of spies in our culture, and there are spies in all cultures. Uh, we may have people eavesdropping on us, or we've been eavesdropping on people. Every country, uh, a civilized country, eavesdrops on other country. No, they don't have a wall that says, don't listen in. That's not considered etiquette and what have you. But at the same time, there, the, the uh, he came along, and it was a dis- tragic period, not just in political history, but in show business history and creative history because a lot of the finest writers lost their jobs and a few of them were able to write movies and a couple of them wrote books under pseudonyms. You may have learned in the interim, I don't have their names in front of me, but they were very famous people because McCarthy opted to accuse some of them of being communist. They may have had uh, highly liberal thoughts in some areas and what have you, but that's part of our culture. They didn't sound any more communist and some of the actors that they accused, were we now know in retrospect, they were in no way communist. But but at the same time, he made it a passing thing until, and maybe all of you listening in need to understand how sometimes a simple remark, which people have a chance to reflect upon, can suddenly wake our damn asses up and cause us to look at things differently. There were the army hearings. And Senator McCarthy was attacking the United States Army. I'm not saying because of communist involvement. I don't want to even go into it now because he'd been calling so many people communists that I was against him as a young man, but a lot of people were supportive of him. And he was holding the hearings and he'd been attacking the United States Army and they're trying to defend themselves. And Joseph Welch, a quiet unknown attorney from from uh, 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 the, the near nearby, a, a state nearby uh, said, uh, was, was, was defending, and nobody cared who he was. He was just trying to defend them in a modified way and what have you. Had a young man sitting next to him that made notes. Obviously he was an apprentice or a young student or what have you. And uh, uh, Welsh, who was from the Boston area, was sitting there. And suddenly Joseph McCarthy said, "McCarthy said that young man next to you, uh, Mr. Welsh, you realize he graduated from such a university." And Welsh looked at the fellow, and the fellow nodded his head. He says, "Don't you realize that when he was in he was in college, he came a member of the Communist Party, and he and he was a member." for I don't know how long, while he was in school. And Welsh, when he he finished, sat there. He took his glasses off, wiped his eyes, and said, Senator McCarthy, have you no sense of decency? A man who made a mistake, maybe when he was in college, and today is proud to be working for me and that quote became the headline of an entire page editorial in New York Times and all over the United States. In a few minutes, Senator McCarthy destroyed his entire career. They found out his war record as a hero in the United States Army was all faked. He had lied and he died a disgraced person. Interesting what a remark can be done in a situation of proper timing.
0: One remark, well-timed. I mean, I was watching this thing last week with the FBI agent and when they were asking him if he was a Democrat and if he had told his wife, you know, right. And I thought, this is like, I keep waiting for someone to say, have you no decency?
1: But, but so our communications, it's, it's going through a stressful period right now. And by the way, and the the, the, the reason you call because they, they, and I didn't realize, Alex, I didn't realize that it's. Over it's two almost two years now. It goes back to uh, 2016 when the New York Times had a story headline: "The Business of the Manchurian Canada." We used in criticizing this scenario with the government for uh, up until as early as 2016. I didn't even know this, and they're calling me on the phone saying, "Chris, I, of all the people, because of your background, hypnotic phenomena, and so forth." I don't know if you ever saw the movie *Alex the Manchurian Canada. I have. It's a it's a masterpiece. and oh. Uh, and uh, of course you know that, that gal who plays uh, plays the uh, mother uh, who gives who brings up the Queen of Diamonds, you know who that is? Uh, is that
0: Angela Lansbury?
1: Angela Lansbury, who was, by the way, it's just gotten the news, she's now picked as one of the 25 worst most evil villains in movie history because she was brilliant in that. She didn't carry it, but think about it, she didn't carry a gun, she didn't carry a knife, but because of, of, of uh, uh, him being Program during that hypnosis demonstration after the war, when he's in, in front of all these uh, uh, Russian scientists and this hypnotist has all these former prisoners of war and he's conditioning them and he causes them to uh, go over and strangle and kill two of his fellow men and that's the guy that comes into the country and of course you've got Sinatra uh, uh, figuring out what, trying to figure out what the hell happened. That they were a that 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 description, the Manchurian Canada with the hypnotic condition, has been used now by a number of newspapers because of the fact that the, uh, Russia got into the picture and and there's other clandestine, apparently clandestine. No, I don't believe. Although I do say this, if in the next couple of months, folks, you're listening in, I bump into Alex and we're in a public demonstration, I may take out the Queen of Diamonds and show it to him, because. <laughs> As while in the movie, the post-hypnotic suggestion was any time that is shown the Queen of Diamonds, he becomes highly receptive and, and she, uh, Angela Lansbury, used this as a technique because she wanted her husband to become president and get, get rid of some of the people so she, she could cause him to murder or to do what she wanted. Uh, that kind of thing, no, that's not possible, it's not feasible. What people do not know is a considerable amount of research was done during the Cold War period, in Russia and the United States, on the use of hypnotic techniques to program people, as as can, and, and so forth, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in that way. Suggestion cannot be that permanently lasting in spite of what some psychologists may say. And as a result of it, but I do show that the power of suggestion is a tremendous force. And I can take, as I will on some television show in the near future, simply reach... And I usually have done, when I've done university performances or theater, what have you, I'll spell my name. But now in the next months to come, all I'm going to do is take a deck of cards, take out the Queen of Diamonds, and show it to a few of the people on stage and wait 20, 30 seconds. Don't be surprised if you're sitting in the audience, Alex. If you find when I have one of the others ask them about how they feel that it turns out those people... To whom I just showed the queen of diamonds are now paralyzed, unable to speak.
0: Now, what is that? Why, why is that? Why is it, the case? Power,
1: it is the power of suggestion under certain conditions? We are highly suggestible. I've been able to create this because of my life's, my life's work and, and development and so forth under unique situations. But remember this, a man was able to capture our minds so thoroughly and I, I really feel sorry for college students that are studying movies that didn't have the experience that I had, or my friends had, or when I was a kid I had, and I went to see a movie because one of my favorite directors was, uh, was Alfred Hitchcock, Oh
2: yeah.
1: and here I'm watching a black and white movie, and I saw what is now considered one of the top 10 or 20 most terrifying moments in the history of movies, and that is uh, that, uh, Janet Lee <coughs> taking a shower. Oh yeah. Many people, many people who saw that movie remember the blood and so forth and do not realize until they're told otherwise or see it the second time that it was a black and white movie. Hitchcock had in the scripting the direction which he was a genius at. He never looked into a camera. He never looked and they asked him why? Because that's what a director does. He says because I know exactly what I'm going to see and I had the best cameraman. He knew how to harness people's minds and imagination that he caused many to see blood. Isn't that remarkable?
0: It is, and I, and I think that's, to me, the scariest <laughs> moments of a movie like Jaws is not when you oh, see the shark, but when the shark no, is no, suggested.
1: It's before that. It, you are absolutely right. Some of the greatest some of the greatest uh, horror movies were in the anticipation. There's a very fine movie, one of my ten, and I love all kinds of movies, my favorite movie, Yankee Little Dandy with Jimmy Cagney. Oh, yeah. But there was a, years ago what Leah Krieger called uh, the lodger it's based on the Jack the Ripper it's based on a movie Hitchcock did in his early days in England but it's Larry Krieger George Saunders uh, and, and so forth Angela Lansbury's in that movie as well and the, you you do not see the legendary Ripper of England that's the, the, the books written about with the, the with the uh, the knife slitting people's thoughts because they, they they felt he was medically trained the way he slit parts of their bodies and took stuff out of them. you never see those scenes you see him approaching the scene. You hear the whistle after it. Well, I want to tell you something out The movie is terrifying because that's real horror, not the movies now with the blood all over the place. That that to me is is sickening. You know.
0: Well, I think suggestion. I, I mean, I, it go it crosses over into uh, I think with glamour as well. Like certain photographs. Uh, you know, I saw a, a photograph of. Um, Bridget Bardot fully clothed, standing by a motorcycle. And I thought that is the sexiest picture I've ever seen. And you don't even see a bit of her skin. I mean, That's sometimes right. Right, it's it's suggestion, which can and be terrifying and, and beautiful at the same time.
1: And my in my performances in the second half of my full evening shows, I often have 20, 30 people on stage that are wide awake conscious. And you have to see what happens because I end up not only having them forget their names, Become temporarily paralyzed, see things that aren't there, and on and on the program goes. And get, we get tri- and I and I and I have sometimes at universities I will have professors volunteering and what have you because they want to experience this kind of phenomena. So so I'm not. I hope, folks. I by the way, Alex, I don't even know where this half hour is gone. <laughs> I know you're like, you're like an old friend. Uh, and I you know by the way, with that in mind. I'm a, Types. With that in mind, by the way, what I want to say also is this, let us, I'm not going to say to you, uh, Alex, goodbye, because through the years, I, I do, uh, uh, two and a half years ago between, uh, uh, from the, uh, from concert appearances, and then counting all the radio and the television appearances I did, and it's two and a half years ago, and my staff went through, every, I did in one year, 364 appearances. Wow. So let's let's keep in touch, and then, because uh, maybe in a maybe in about three or four weeks it'll be interesting in, in reflecting on what's taking place and providing. I haven't upset anybody, and I I know if something does happen, you'll be amongst the couple of thousand people to say, isn't it a shame that that two hundred people murdered Kreskin because he was criticizing of No, 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 but. But let's, uh, let's keep in touch. And, and you know, I'm not going to say goodbye. Let's just say in the spirit of broadcasting to be continued. And if people want to look at uh, on what's going on in my career, they can look on uh, the ama- amazing Kreskin, taamazingkreskin.com. Uh, my private shows are not listed. My public ones are. And also my commentary on things that are going on around the world. Not that I'm an expert on the things, but I can look at some of them with a slightly different perspective. And I think that's why a lot of the press has interviewed me through the years because I, I can see a different angle on something which may give it a refreshing perspective. You know what I mean?
0: I do and I and I just I hope that people will allow themselves to think critically and change their minds and not feel so they have to be so safe with their opinions.
1: Well, we we will I'm, I'm changing I won't change my mind about one thing. I I do I do really enjoy working with you. Even with some of the thoughts I'm getting, my I'm still not, I dare not change, my mind. no, I, I mean that I dare not change my mind so let's just say, Alex, let's just say to be continued, okay?
0: You got it. Hey, a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Take care, Alex.
0: Thank you, my friend. Well, there you go. There's my chat with the Echoing Kreskin my uh, my engineering guy was like, I don't know why that happened. I think he was just on a different plane than you. <laughs> well, if any interviewee is going to echo, uh, I think Kreskin is uh, is the right person. Had it been Richie Sambora, I don't think it would have worked. Uh, I am Alex Green. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. If you want to keep in touch with us here at the program, do it on Instagram, Embers Podcast. Do it on Twitter, at Embers Editor. And uh, do it by email, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. And if you're on iTunes, please subscribe to StereoEmbers, the podcast, and subscribe to Bombshell Radio. Maybe give us a rating. Maybe write a review. You know, if you have time. Uh, All right. I will be back next week. Thank you again for tuning in. And I'll see you next week right here on StereoEmbers, the podcast.
2: It's a kind of magic.